Amen. Good morning, Crosspoint. He is risen. It's just fun to say, isn't it? Okay, kids, you can be released for Children's Church where you are going to be having a special party uh, this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I just want to thank you for joining us this morning in this opportunity to celebrate this historic, life-transforming event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That really, the resurrection is this keystone event in all of history. But I want to kind of paint this picture in our minds this morning of even what does that mean, this keystone event. Because a keystone, and this is going to be part of the picture I want to form in our minds, is that top stone. It's a web, a a wedge-shaped stone that goes in the top of an arch, that these two columns that are growing in, bending together, and then the weight is pressed in on this single stone that allows these arches to stand. If you think of in St. Louis, the Gateway Arch, stands 635 feet high. The, the, that keystone was put in place, I think in like October 1965, uh, around there. It weighed 10 tons, this center stone holding the weight. And if you pull it out, everything crumbles. And so I want to, to paint this pictures in our minds this morning. So we're going to be walking through all of Scripture. So it could be hard to follow along in your own Bible. So we're going to have the verses on the screen. But, but if you're taking notes... I want you to, to kind of draw this picture with me of this archway. Because see, we're going to start on, on the left side of understanding God's purpose in all of history. What's wrong with the world? Why is it so broken? Why is it the way it is? And then we're going to see what the answer was proclaimed to be in the person and promises of Jesus but they all either come together or fall apart on the single declared truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Is it trustworthy? Would you walk beneath the weight of this archway? So let's pray, and then we're going to dive in this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, that, that is trustworthy, that we have accounts from eyewitnesses who were, who were there, who can write and tell us what happened. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts this morning to see the truth and weight and beauty of your word in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you move on our hearts this morning. Give confidence where faith is weak. Ignite a flame where hearts feel lost and broken this morning. Lord, fan into flame our faith this morning and the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name, amen. So let's lay the first stone on the, the left. We'll start over here. The, the first stone is the reality that, that the world is broken. Like, we feel this, right? Like, you watch the news. We see the reality of a broken world. But there has to be the question that we ask, what's wrong? What happened? Like, didn't it say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? And God saw everything he had made, and he said, it's good. It's, it's very good. So how did we go 
from what is good, what, what is beautiful, from this declared truth to the reality of what we see today of brokenness? How did we move from health to disease? How did we go from walking with God to hiding from God? How did we go from, from actually having unity and relationships with, with one another to the hostility and injustice we see today? How did that come to be? Why is the world broken? Every single one of us must answer that question. God tells us that what is broken in the world is sin. See, Adam and Eve, got God's creation was called to walk with him in perfect relationship, but it says they rebelled and instead chose their own way, not what God had established. And, and this led to, if you will, the virus of sin. Now, we're all more familiar with viruses than we ever cared to be, right? Like, it's like it's everywhere on the news. We kind of get this sense of like, okay, where did it originate? And all of a sudden, it's global. It's infected. But imagine if a virus would have 100% fatality, and you know it's going to spread to everyone. This is how the Bible describes sin. Listen to what it says in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, where did it originate? It originated through Adam. And then that led to death and death through sin. Death be, came in because of the virus of sin. And in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Do you see what's happened here? When it's like, what's wrong with the world? It's, well, sin entered the world. That leads to death, and it spread to everyone. We all feel this. This is what is wrong with the world. And there were consequences to this, not just physical death, but also separation from God. It meant Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. There was a guard placed there. They were kicked out. Relationship with God is broken. Relationship with one another is broken. Creation itself groans in pain because of this. Why do we have floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, such natural disasters? The, the earth, creation itself groans. It's not how it was intended to be. And there's illnesses and there's hostility. And, and then people are trying to pave their own way back to, to how do I make it right? How do I make it right how I want it right? And now everybody's scurrying about trying to make their own garden, their own garden of Eden, their own paradise, their own perfect world in their own making. But here's what I want us to see. In the very beginning, God, while he was still speaking the consequences, spoke the hope that was promised. God had already had a plan in place before sin even entered. In Genesis 3.15, while he's speaking to the serpent, so you have to understand, like, there's evil, there's, there's Satan, there's good, there's what God created. And while God's saying, here's the consequences of sin entering the world, he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you, being Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring, evil, and her offspring, humanity. This is what we see unfolding, the hostility in the world. This is where it originated. This is what's broken. And here's God's solution. He, a promised Savior, 
He will strike your head. He will defeat Satan in evil. He will crush the head of evil. It is a fatal blow. And it says, and you being Satan will strike his heel. A non-fatal wound. There's this promise. And this promise begins a thread that runs throughout human history. It runs throughout every single page of the Bible. Who is this person? Who is this he? That's all we know. He. He will ultimately be the one who brings about restoring all that's broken. He is our hope, but we don't know his name yet. So then God gives us identifying markers. Josh McDowell famously describes this like an address. Like, consider this for a moment. If I want to send a letter to you from anywhere in the world, I only need seven pieces of data. Like, that should blow our minds. Like, I've lived in the, like, in the desert in Chad, and people could send something to me. That blows my mind. Seven pieces of information out of eight billion people in the world, I can get a letter to you. All I need to know is the country, right? And then from the country, I'm going to do the zip code in the state. So now I'm narrowing it down, the, the, the country, the zip code, the state. And then the city. Like, okay, the United States, Florida, Orlando. Then the street address. Okay, I have the street address. Now I have the, the number of the house. All of a sudden, we're getting closer. Do you see? And then you have my name. You put that on an envelope with a stamp, and that letter's going to come to me. Out of 8 billion people, seven pieces of data. Now, God gave us an address to know who this he would be. And it's not just seven pieces of information. It's 351 prophecies, promises that were spoken. 351 details. How do you know who this person will be? Out of all the people who have ever lived, how do you know this one whom God promised will destroy and defeat what is wrong and broken in the world? And he says, I'll tell you. He will be born in the lineage, lineage of Shem. He is a descendant of Abraham, born in the, the line of Isaac, the line of Jacob, the tribe of Judah, the family of Jesse, the house of David. He will be born in Bethlehem. His name will be God with us. His betrayal was talked about. The 30 pieces of silver were talked about. Him being pierced was talked about. Not a single bone being broken was talking about. All these details Things that, that Jesus himself could not control. Jesus, God, tells us what is broken in the world. He promises us a Savior who will redeem. And he tells us how we'll know who that person is. And then you have Jesus showing up in human history. No human can, can naturally control when they're born, to which family they're born, in which country they're born, the details of their birth. 
the details of their life. This is a supernatural reality. And Jesus steps in, fulfilling one by one by one. And then he stands up and he makes the audacious claim. Beyond anything Jesus claimed, it was this, that he is God. See, God's already promised. He said, here's what's broken. Here's my solution in a savior. Here's how you're going to identify him. Jesus comes and he's like, I'm God. This is the claims of Jesus. When people are like, Jesus, who are you? The religious leaders wondering. He said, before Abraham, I am. Now you might be, what's the big deal? The big deal is that I am is where we get our understanding of God in the word Yahweh. A state of being. This is when Moses stood before the burning bush in the presence of God. And, and Moses is kind of scared. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go to these people and say that God spoke to me. So, so what's your name again? And God said, I am who I am. You tell them that I am sent you. Yahweh. And so then you have these religious leaders asking Jesus. And they're like, who are you? And he's like, actually, before Abraham, I am. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying because they tore their clothes. They ripped. They're just like, are you crazy? You can't say that, that you're God. What he's saying is I'm the one who was promised. The one who God said would come and defeat evil, that's me. I am God with us. I am Emmanuel. I am the one who was promised. And whenever this comes up, I can't help but to go back to the famous quote of C.S. Lewis. Where he writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying that really foolish thing, right? That, that people so often say about Jesus. Like, what, what do people say? That I'm ready to accept Jesus as this great moral teacher. You know, he's great. I like his teachings. He seems like a nice guy. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Perfect. Great. Love it. But, I, you know, his claim of being God, no. That's one thing we must not say, C.S. Lewis goes on to say. See, we can't say that, that Jesus was merely a good teacher when he said the sort of things he said. A man who is, was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He's either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he, he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man, either Jesus was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman, or something far, far worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being some great human teacher. He has not left us that option, nor did he intend to. This is who Jesus claimed himself to be. There is no other alternative. He claimed to be the one promised in the Garden of Eden to redeem and restore by defeating evil once and for all. 
knowing that he would be wounded in the process. Now, here's the thing. You can make that claim, but can you back it up? (laughs) Right? We see lots of crazy people who think they're divine. Was that Jesus? This is where then you see the works of Jesus. You see the miracles that he did. He's doing things that normal people don't do, right? Like when you have eyewitness accounts saying, well, see, there was this blind guy who Jesus prayed over or touched or spit on the ground and rubbed mud in his eyes, and now he sees. See, there was this guy who was paralyzed and couldn't walk, and now he can walk. There was those who were deaf, and now they can hear. There were the the sick who are healed, diseases that were gone away. There were those who were hungry and not enough food, and he multiplied the food over and over again. Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle. Why? Was it just a magic show? No, he was authenticating the reality that he was who he said he was. He said, I'm God. I'm the one God promised. You want to know? Here's Here's the demonstration of that. You're kind of like, wow, 351 unique things identifying you. You show up. You say you're him. You're doing things that I cannot even fathom. Maybe you are. Everything in history is culminating to this climax. And then Jesus says, These things, three times he makes a statement, a prediction. These predictions of Jesus. In in Luke 9, he says, "It's, it's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes to, to be killed and to be raised on the third day. And, and Peter's like, nah, that's not a good idea, Jesus. I don't think so. Again, later, listen to what Jesus says. Then Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them again, see, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. I want that line to stand out in your mind. Because remember the other side of the arch? These identifying markers, the things that were written before Jesus about this one who was promised. He's like, look, everything that was said, these final things are about to happen. It's all about to be fulfilled. This is it. The hope you've been waiting for, this waiting of the realization, it's all coming to a head. And that I'll be handed over to the Gentiles, that he will be mocked, insulted, prophesied, spit on, and after they flogged him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. And so now we have these two pieces standing above us. The the promises of God and the the, the person and promises of Jesus. What happens? On the one side, we see, yes, that that what is broken in the world, the promise of a savior, the, the, the predictions, the 351 promises of who this person would be. You have the claims of Jesus, the works of Jesus, the predictions of Jesus, all standing overhead. Kind of precarious. And imagine these two columns swaying above you. 
all your hopes and all your expectations, and then they come crashing down. The earliest historical eyewitness account says this. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Jesus let out a loud cry as he hung on the cross crucified, declaring the words, it is finished. And he breathed his last. Joseph of Arimathea brought, bought some linen, took him down and wrapped him in the cloth. They laid him in a tomb cut out from a rock, no back exit. And they rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And hope seemingly died. Jesus predicted it, but it didn't mean like, I thought that was metaphorical or something, right? <laughs> like he, he died, died. He wasn't supposed to die. I thought he was just supposed to be wounded. I thought evil was supposed to be fatally destroyed. I thought Satan was supposed to be crushed. But our Savior, like all the promises of God, all the, the work and predictions of Jesus culminating in the grave. And here's the thing. If Jesus does not rise from the dead, this is what the scripture says would be true. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, my preaching right now is empty. It's without substance. It's like going up to someone who's dehydrated, dying of thirst, and handing them an empty glass. Faith, faith in Jesus, it, it, it's a hollow veneer meant to, to, this fragile veneer trying to cover up our hopelessness. Christians would be liars declaring something about God that is untrue. You would still be separated from God because of your sin. Expelled from his presence, just like Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is no eternity with God. There is no hope for the disease of death. Everything is at stake in this moment in history. This is why the resurrection is the keystone event in all of human history. This is why when we see the, 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 what is broken in the world, the promise of a Savior, who this Savior would be, the claims of Jesus, the work of Jesus, what he said would be true, culminating in the reality of the resurrection. And here's the thing, you don't have to just take my word from it. Like, who are you? You weren't there. No, but we have the eyewitness account of those who were. And this is what they say. Hear it for yourselves. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? Who will roll it away for us? And looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was, was very large, had been rolled away. 
And they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and and they were alarmed. But he said, do not be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. See, in these words, I want you to to feel the weight and the reality of these two columns of truth settling into place on this keystone event that Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus physically died. Nobody stood outside his grave. For three days, he lay in the darkness of death. Nobody stood outside his grave saying, hey, Jesus, rise from the dead. He was dead. And Jesus, by his own will, rose to life. Breath returned to his lungs. And I want you to feel the thunderous stomp of his foot as he stands from the grave, crushing the head of sin and evil as was promised, saying he is risen. He is risen indeed. What was promised is true. This is the hope we have. And then hear the echo of his voice that says, oh, death, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, it's been defeated once and for all by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he did not rise from the dead, it would not be true. But because Jesus did rise from the dead, then my preaching this morning has substance. It is living water for that thirsty, dehydrated soul here this morning. There is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. That our faith is not a hollow veneer. It has substance. It is solid. It is secure. It is abounding in hope. Christians declare the truth about God, what he has promised, who he is, and what he has done. And you are no longer in your sin if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You have been set free. The doorway back to God is established through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is held together by the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what we celebrate this morning. That's why it's not just another Sunday. That's why we stand and we sing and we celebrate the resurrection as we do every Sunday. But on this day, we remember that this is what holds it all together. This is what bears the weight of our hope. And so the question before each of us this morning, will you trust in and follow Jesus through the doorway he has provided. It's that simple question. It rises or falls in what Jesus claimed and what he said about himself and what is proven throughout history. Jesus rose from the dead as he said he would. So how will you respond As you ponder this question, you're about to see 
and witness several people this morning be baptized. And I want to explain what you're about to see, what it means. For, for those who are going to be baptized, I want to invite you to go ahead back and change. We'll be doing this a little bit later in the service, but I gave them a heads up. So you're going to be somewhat, we get to celebrate six baptisms this morning, right? This is awesome. Here's why that's so exciting. Because the power of the resurrection is not just words on a page for back then. The power of the resurrection is today, it's now, it's a newness of life that we get to walk in. Because Christ rose from the dead, we too shall rise. Because he rose from the dead, the life I now live in the body, I don't live for myself, I live for his glory. That's the reality. And so what you're about to see in baptism is baptism is a public outward symbol of a personal inward reality. This is what I mean by that. See, each one of these individuals that you're going to see up here have made the decision to trust in Jesus Christ. They're saying what God has declared to be true, I believe to be true. Who Jesus has claimed to be, I believe to be true. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. And that my only hope of being reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. And they are making this, they have made this personal decision. But what you're going to see is now there's this public outward symbol that you're going to, that is an opportunity for them to proclaim publicly what they have decided inwardly. So you're going to see on the screens a short video of their testimony before each one's baptized. You're going to hear them affirm that, yes, I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus. You're going to hear me kneeling down beside them saying, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? And you will hear them respond saying, yes. And then you're going to hear me say, then because you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I now baptize you in the name of buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. This is the reality that they are identifying with his death and his resurrection. This is what it says in Romans 6.4. Therefore, we were buried with him, with Jesus Baptism into death. And in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a newness of life. And so I want to let you know then, after we celebrate these six baptisms, I'm going to come back to the question I asked you On which side of the archway do you stand? Will you trust in Jesus or will you reject him? There is no middle ground. There is no halfway. There is no good teacher. There is either he is who he says he is and he did what he said he did or he is not. Where do you stand? And will you trust in Jesus this morning?